Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. This is Brian. I don't like calling myself a pastor, but maybe that's what I am. Actually, that is what I am. Um, Coming back at you live, as always, from Bryant Lake Bowl here in the uptown neighborhood of Minneapolis. Um, I would not be a good Minnesotan if I did not complain about the weather, as people can attest. Um, It is hot. Hot, hot, hot. Uh, I don't believe in hell, but I could say it's hotter than hell. (laughs) Uh, Minnesotans are always complaining about the weather. We're never happy. We're never content with the weather. I will say, though, with this heat and how oppressive it is, that I would rather deal with winter. Can anybody out there say they agree, disagree? Curtis, you 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 like heat more? Boo. I disagree with you. No, um, yeah, it got yesterday, so on the 5th of June, it was 100 degrees here in Minnesota, which we don't normally hit 100. We hit the 90s a lot, but we actually hit the 100s out in western Minnesota, got to like 105, which is very, very uh, un-Minnesota-like. Usually we get anywhere between two to three days of 100 degree temperatures and yesterday we hit 100 that was quite early sometimes we hit that in july or august but it's already june and i can actually remember two weeks ago two weeks ago from last thursday it was 45 degrees when i went to work and you could see your breath so in two weeks it's changed 75 degrees so that's that's minnesota for you with our weather. Hopefully everyone um, had a good week. Um, I haven't been here for like two weeks. Last week we were out of town. Amanda and I's nephew graduated high school up in Bismarck, so we were up there seeing some family and friends. It was really good, really fun just to kind of be away. Had some R&R up there in a cool hotel. We went swimming and all that. And it was just, I'm not going to lie, pastors, Talk, you know, speakers, we need breaks every now and then, and I just kind of feel more refreshed and more, um, what's the word, more refreshed, more rejuvenated, more that it can bring you some good content. My head is more clear and precise at what I can do, so that's what we're going to do. Um, housekeeping notes, uh, there wasn't a sermon last week, so we don't have one coming up on um, the Sacred Collective feed, which is where we always put these talks. Um, so there's no new one this week, or that was going to come out today. However, shameless plug for myself, as you guys know, that I host a podcast called The Sacred Collective. Um, now that all the mask mandates are kind of being, um, actually all of them in Minnesota have been lifted because we're we're kicking ass at vaccinations here in Minnesota. All of us who are here today are vaccin- doubly vaccinated. 
Um, so we're probably going to try to get into our small groups, like our small group thing for Sacred Collective here soon, and we'll put those up. But um, we have some really sweet interviews that I did, if I say so myself. Uh, one came out a few weeks ago where I interviewed my friend Brent, who I went to college with, and we talk about, you know, uh, politics. I kind of let him lead it. So we talked about politics and why 81% of white evangelicals voted for Trump. And kind of he kind of talked about kind of his walking away from faith, and then um, one that just came out this past Thursday was a it's called the Cosmic Face Poem, and there's this um, guy I've met on TikTok, yes, good old TikTok. His name's Joey Treeb. Um, he has a show, a podcast himself called All Things Reconsidered, where he's about ten years younger than me, but him and his friend went you know grew up evangelicalism, grew up Pentecostal. And they uh, have, it's more almost, it's it's almost more of like comedy in a way. Like they're poking fun at certain things within the faith and deconstructing. So me and him had about an hour conversation about reconstructing hell and ideologies on that. So that's out. Then coming up this Thursday, um, I have a talk coming out of a really dear friend that I made on Instagram. She reached out to me. Her name is Ashley and uh it's she's a pastor who turned to an atheist and she's a hardcore atheist so it's going to entitled a pastor's journey to atheism so that's coming out this thursday have some other content coming down so if you like sacred collective and revolution there's a lot of overlap there that's coming out soon uh the last thing i will say is um are my dear friends maria french and barry taylor if any of you guys have listened to Sacred Collective in the past or know who they are, uh, they do. They run uh, a company called H and Co, where they do like online classes, just about deconstruction and radical theology and all this stuff. They have a podcast called uh, Sacred Anarchies, which I highly recommend. They interviewed me this past Monday about my journey through faith and Christianity my deconstruction and kind of what I'm doing here with revolution and other things. So that that's about an hour conversation that's coming out wherever you get podcasts, probably this Monday or they said the Monday after. So I've been busy here in the downtime in the last couple of weeks. So that's what I'm going to be on. And I have a couple of podcasts that reached out to me, tentatively they want me to be on their podcast talking about deconstruction and things like that so we'll see we'll see that um potentially happening in the next few weeks um as always amanda is um running the feed here for revolution so if you have any questions comments thoughts i'm not going to stop and answer them while i'm giving my talk but i'm going to she'll um, let me know what they are at the end and so yeah so she'll be doing that and so feel free to comment and as always I'll open it up at the end for questions comments things like that um, yeah so pretty exciting um, if I'm honest with myself I've always been someone who's had uh, fascination with Jesus, with scripture, just everything 
dealing with Christianity. I was born I was born into Christianity. I was born into this faith. I've kind of joked before. I don't know if I've said it on this podcast or not. But oh, we got we got more coffee coming in. We're just going to be a caffeinated bunch today. No. You were right, Curtis. You're going to get two two coffees. You got to drink all that before you leave. We got like a church potluck. No, but if I'm honest with myself, and Amanda and I had a really good conversation because when we were driving last week up to uh, Bismarck, it's about a good seven-hour drive from here. So we talked a lot about faith and where we're at and just our our journey and our and our walk. And we were just kind of commenting to each other about how much we've changed within our own faith and within our own spirituality over the years. We're definitely not the kind of people who believe the same way as we did when we were younger. And what I find so funny is I have a lot of people that I know in my own life who are like, who I can tell that they haven't changed anything within their faith from when they became a Christian to where they're at now. That could be 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And then they're proud of it. They're like, oh, I'm super proud that I haven't changed my faith. And that always, I always find that suspect because all of us as human beings change. Whether you're married or single or whatever, we, we all change as people. You're not going to be the same person you were at 18 as you are at 28. You're not going to be the same person at 28 as you were at 38. And I'll be 38 here in a few months. And if I look back at how I was at 30, I've changed. If I look back at how I was 18 or 19, I definitely am not this, I'm the same person as Brian, but I am not the same person when it comes to faith. And, and let alone, I'm not even the same, I'm not even the same husband that I was when Amanda and I got married. I'm not the same father. You know, my daughter just turned four the other day. I'm not the same father. I was when she was born four years ago. So my whole point is, we're all we are we're forever changing. We're forever evolving as people with our ideologies, our our theology, our philosophies. And I feel so often in the church, we don't have we don't have that luxury of doing that. Some churches, some denominations, yes, but in a lot of denominations and a lot of churches. We don't have that luxury of doing that. Like, you, you have to stay, you know, you, and everyone knows that they change, and everyone knows that they, um, will change as a person, but if, I feel like they, we don't have the wiggle room to, I guess, just change when it comes to our faith. And I had a really good conversation with Amanda one of the days in our hotel room. Um, Amanda's sister and our, some of my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, we just, we talked, we had some whiskey, we had just had a wonderfully good conversation of how we've changed, um, over the years and just how the Christianity of our, I would say in our infancy, not literally when we were a baby, but when we became a Christian to where we're at now, uh, is so different and sometimes and i'll say this if this makes sense so many people when you talk about faith and your faith moving or deconstructing or evolving put whatever adjective you want in there is we sometimes we 
transcend certain concepts and ideologies um, when it comes to the moniker of Christianity. And, you know, I always tell people I don't like the moniker Christian because it's been so muddled and in a lot of ways it's just an embarrassing title to call oneself. So I like to just say I'm a passionate believer in the teachings of Jesus and I try to mimic them without trying to say that I'm that I'm a Christian uh, if that makes sense but one thing and I had a like as I said this is a very personal talk this week um, coming from my heart from my gut but I hope it makes sense to everyone um, so thank you for tuning in and hearing me just put my my vulnerability out there for everyone so p- people here here who are live or who are watching live right now on Facebook or who will hear this when it's up next week on on the podcast stream um i don't know how many of you so this is our our question that i have for people who are watching and or who are here is how many of us who have grown up in the church how many of us has have always been told that doubt questioning all that stuff is more of a negative when it comes to faith. Can I say a lot of us have probably thought that? Um, I was one of those people who have always doubted a lot of things within Scripture. I've doubted a lot of stories, the validity of them, even how the canon has been formed. Um, I've actually gotten a lot of conversations with family and friends who, you know, they're like, well, the Bible's in the inherent word of God. It's infallible. All the stories in there are this, 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 and this. And I always, I always have that rationalistic, I always have that rationalistic in my reason that jumps up. And that's another thing. So many of us who grew up in the church have always been told, like, you know, your brain is going to try to tell you to disbelieve. And it's like, well, no. I feel like God, if you believe God created everything, God gave us this mind, this this crazy little computer in your head is really what your brain is, is, is your body's computer, your hard drive. And if something doesn't feel right, if something doesn't make sense, your body and your mind is going to say, hey, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't formulate. This doesn't compute, kind of like a computer. If you try to do something on a computer and it doesn't make sense or it doesn't do whatever it's supposed to do, you're automatically going to be like, what's going on? And so a lot of what I was taught about faith and about Jesus and about Christianity has just never made sense to me. And I was saying this to Amanda and my family last week where I was like, all this stuff within Christianity, it's important to me. It's, it's this religion and this faith that I was born into, but a lot of what I ingested and took in as a, as a kid and as a young adult, I just, and I was like, if I'm honest with myself and if I'm truthful with myself, none of it, not none of it, a lot of it didn't make sense. And I could never doubt. I could never question. I could never go to my parents or like the pastors and mentors over me and say, hey, I have a really fundamental problem with this. Because the big one that came up to me was... You know, Jesus loves everyone. Jesus died for everyone. 
you know, we're going, you know, the people who believe in them have eternal life. And I was like, well, what are the, what if someone doesn't become a Christian? Well, then they're going to go to hell forever. And that always just sat wrong with me because I was like, if this God is loving, which is we see in the New Testament, and then half of the creation that God created is going to be burned away or in hell for all of eternity, that just does not seem like the Jesus or the God we see in the New Testament. And so that kind of made me start having this spiral of just asking and not a spiral in a bad way, because you always hear it like, oh, I was spiraling down and I did this. But that was like kind of like the beginning of this spiral of me deconstructing and asking questions of, why do I believe what I believe? Why do I wholeheartedly be- believe in all these things? And when I was trying to come up with a talk, you know, people don't realize that pastors sometimes, it's, it's daunting to try to come up with talks and sermons every week. Um, I have a full-time day job, you know, I'm a parent, I'm a husband, I want to have some personal time to myself. So I was like, Brian, what, what can you talk about that maybe you've talked about before, but putting it in a different way? And so I've always been, people joke, like Jay is the, the grace preacher and, and disagreeing well. And I, I do agree. He, he is very good at that. I feel like I'm more the doubt guy. I'm more of the guy who wants to say, Hey, for, for any of us who are listening, who are here live or watching or listening, when you doubt, when you deconstruct, sometimes it can feel very lonely. Sometimes it can feel very, uh, uh, like you're a lone ranger in it, but, it's healthy. It's healthy for you to doubt. It's healthy for you to question. And so often a lot of us, I feel like a lot of us who are part of the revolution community, that's one of the things that we like about this community is somebody can be somebody unabashedly happy that where they're at in their faith. Someone could be questioning their faith. Someone could be doubting their faith. And we're all here as a community saying like, hey, I got your back. I got your back. Wherever you're at, you're good we're in this together. And this is one thing I love about our community. And so even me, you know, and I've said to Amanda, I'm like, there's sometimes like when I pray or when I'm talking where I'm like, do I believe in this? Like, do I believe in God? Do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe in these teachings? And I will say, yeah, I believe in the teachings of Jesus, but a lot of what's in scripture, I just, I can't get my head around where certain things will be said by maybe Jesus himself or maybe an apostle or maybe, you know, Paul or whatever. And so many people just are like, they hook their wagon to that and they're like, yep, that's what I believe too. And it's like, really? Like, I I just have an issue. So the one verse I'm going to talk about is um, in James. And it's about doubt. It's James 1, verses 6 through 7. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he or she will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, he's a double-minded, or they're a double-minded person, unstable in all their ways. So you can kind of see that what I'm saying and you that might sit and be like well that doesn't help your cause about doubting but that's some simply what I'm saying is what I'm going to talk about is and the name of this talk is doubt how the 
how the Bible gets doubt wrong or how it gets it wrong. And it's funny, I interviewed someone for Sacred Collective, and they were like, one thing, and this person's an atheist, and one thing that she said she appreciated is, she's like, you're the only pastor that I know who actively says, I don't like this in the Bible, or I think that this is wrong. This scripture, what I just read in James, I think is very, very problematic, and I personally take issue with it. And anybody who knows me, I've talked you know, out of Matthew, out of that gospel. And there's a lot of things in Matthew that I love, I think is great, I think is fantastic. There's also quite a bit that I think is full of garbage, full of hot air. This scripture in James, and people don't realize in James, a little backstory, people think, it's not proven, that it was Jesus' half-brother, James, who wrote it. So having firsthand, potentially this person having firsthand knowledge, um, of of that also also what people don't realize most of Jesus's siblings didn't really think he was the Messiah till everything happened if you believe in the res- crucifixion and resurrection so his own family didn't really believe in all this stuff that of who Jesus said he was so this is attributed to James and James is actually probably one of the earliest um, written account of of faith it's it's predates the gospels by at least 10 or 20 years so you have that and james is also a very kind of um hot button book because the reformer martin luther hated it didn't want it in the bible so throughout history we we see that even a lot of people within christendom didn't like this book for so put that into perspective but I think, and what I've said before, is when um, a ploy in any kind of writing, it doesn't matter if it's the Bible, because the Bible, people need to realize, is literature, take it how you want, is Bibles written in different themes and different, uh, like, apocalyptic writ- uh, writing, wisdom writing, um, historical writing, things like that. So, but a ploy that writers use is when they use words over and over. They're trying to push push the meaning in. And in these two verses, I think I read doubt two or three times. For a two verse, for the two verses, having doubt in there like two or three times, is the writer's trying to say, hey, doubt is a bad thing. Doubt, doubt is not a good thing that we should strive for. And I, I vehemently, I respect James, never met the person, but I really vehemently disagree with this portion of scripture because I think doubt is fundamental in all of our lives. And I think is definitely vital in Christians' lives, in people who, who um, believe in Jesus. Because, as I just said a few minutes ago, if you do not doubt about anything and everything in your life, then... I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm almost at a lot of loss for words. If you don't doubt, how do you grow? You know, how, if, I, if I don't doubt uh, on anything and everything, how am I going to grow as a person? And, and James is writing, and he uses this, he uses it like if you doubt, you're like the waves crashing and like going into each other. If you, if, like One of my favorite places in the world to go is Lake Superior, and sometimes you see those white caps. Those beautiful white caps or like when a boat goes through and you see all the waves like hitting each other and it makes that 
to me a wonderful, beautiful sound. I could actually I had a white noise machine before where I would just put it on the uh, on like the waves, like they had a waves one, and you could hear it crashing, and that was really soothing to me. So when I was reading this, you know, he's he James is making the the analogy of that if you doubt, you're no different than this wave that keeps crashing into everything. That's and I think he's more uh, trying to say that we should just kind of be like when it's nice out, when there's no wind, where there's no rain. Um, I'll get to your comment, Nancy. That was a really good comment. Um, doubt or like James is almost in a way of saying like if we're not not and you've heard the t- the saying um, quit rocking the boat because when you rock the boat you're going to start maybe tipping or you're going to start getting the waves moving around and you're kind of like whoa what am I going to do and I think James is trying to say like we should just kind of be like straight laced almost in a way and how we should just be don't stir the waters because going back to to James it's pretty much saying um, yet one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that they will receive anything from the Lord they are a double minded person unstable in all their ways and it's just I, I just can't like when I read that when I was looking I, I'm not going to lie I did Google search for doubt in the Bible and this was one of the like big ones in there and I just and I read it and I was like, this is just straight garbage. <laughs> you know, it's in the Bible, but I was like, this is, this is hurtful. This is when I read that and I look at doubt and I'm like, so is James trying to say that I don't get anything from the Lord? Is James trying to say my faith in God is therefore suspect because I doubt and I'm, I'm, I'm a crashing wave? And, and, and I, I one thing I want to say, get a point across to people too is when you, when you read problematic verses like this, it's okay to question it. It's okay to get mad. And sometimes when you read scripture, it's where it's not always supposed to give us this happy-go-lucky feeling, like oh, I really feel that in my soul. I really like that. I think it's just no different if you read a, a, a novel or if you or if you watch a movie and you're like, I really am into this. I really like this. And then you get to a part and you're like, well, this just sucked. I don't like the way this went. As you can get into that, and the Bible is no different, is you can look at the Bible and say, oh, I really like this story, or I really like this narrative, but it's also okay, and I people, I feel like churches and a lot of Christianity don't give the, the option of just, when they read something, to be like, this is absolute, you know, garbage, which is what I just think this portion in James is. I think it's so problematic and so so full of garbage and uh, nancy wrote doubt brings about greater faith and that's 100 percent true doubt does bring greater faith because and i will say and to out you i have done this before nancy's my mom and i will say that my mom and dad raised me to take my faith seriously to take it um to make it meaningful to myself but they never said that i should not doubt because there come there can be to a point where some people doubt and they just disbelieve in God altogether and and that's fine if someone doubts and that means they're agnostic or there means they're atheistic that's that's your own journey that's your own walk that's wherever if that's where it brings you great doubt doesn't bring me personally to a form of disbelief it brings me to a greater understanding 
of how flawed people were when they wrote the Bible. They were writing out of their own context. Uh, they were writing what they perceived they thought faith was about, what they thought Jesus was about. They were writing within their own culture, their own cultural context. Because honestly, like if we were in Bible times, like right now, if this is what was going in our lives, and we put ourselves in here, if somebody looked, you know, looked back at what I wrote 20 years from now, 30 years, 60 years from now, they might look at me and say, wow, like, I don't really agree with what Brian is saying about doubt. Doubt is super problematic. Doubt is this, 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 and this. So we're reading we're reading James almost 2,000 years ago. And maybe James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, maybe he was like, I knew Jesus intimately. I knew him as a sibling. I knew him as a teacher. I knew him as this. So there's no possible way that I can doubt. Well, yeah, if, if James was, like, if my brother was Jesus, and I knew that my brother did all these things, those miraculous things, he died and rose again. Yeah, I'm going to be writing in a perspective saying, how in the world can you doubt? But we're not in that perspective. We're not in that frame of mind or that frame of reference. So when we read this, we're, we're looking back and we're like, James, you're so off base because I doubt all the time. I use my brain to think and question things and is, is, is that wrong? And I, I cannot vehemently say enough that, that doubt is integral to our faith. It is. Doubt is integral to our faith. Um, I honestly think that doubt is integral to our faith. It's a normal emotion that we have. We as humans get angry. We get happy. We get depressed. We, we're joyful. Uh, you list any of those feelings and emotions. There are if I go to my mom or if I go to my wife or I go to a friend and say, hey, I'm really feeling happy today, I'm really joyful, they're going to say, yeah, great. Oh, I don't know why you're so happy, but I support that. I accept it. Um, I'm happy for you. If someone's like, hey, this happened in my life, my marriage is over, my relationship's over, uh, I'm super depressed, people are going to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me come beside you. Let me walk through this with you or... Uh, all that, or if someone's like, I am mad, I am pissed off, I am angry, I lost my job, I got in a car accident, I blew a tire, whatever. People are going to be like, I am so sorry, like, what can I do to help you? So we, we look at these emotions, we look at these feelings, and we're like, we see that. But then some way, somehow, we look at doubt, and this transcends faith. We look at doubt, and if someone's like, hey, you know, I'm really doubting the importance of whatever. I'm doubting the importance of marriage. I'm doubting the importance of church. I'm doubting the importance of reading reading the Bible or or whatever. A lot of times people are going to be like, it's that feeling when somebody says that, that they're like, oh, it's like the elephant in the room. Oh, uh, what do I do? <laughs> you know, like, how do, how do I come besides my friend or my partner or whoever or a congregant in a church and are like, oh, uh... And my point is, when we doubt, so many people are like, oh, uh, I, I can't help you. But we can help them when they're in good emotions and good feelings. We can help them when they're even like in mad or angry feelings and emotions or even depressed. 
But when it comes to doubt, it's just like, oh, uh, and I even have friends. I have friends who, who are like, Brian, I'm doubting this part in ministry. I'm doubting my call to this. What should I do? And I even sometimes feel the trap of like, uh, why did you have to say that? (laughs) Because it puts me on the spot of like, what do I do? And I'll give them my two cents. I'll give them my opinion, but I'll go to them and say, I'm with you in this time of doubt. I'm with you in this time of understanding and, and questioning, but that's up to you. Like I'll walk with you as much as I can through this doubt of however you're feeling or whatever it is, could be a job, it could be a calling into ministry, it could be something within marriage. Like I've had friends who are like, I, I doubt some things in my own marriage. And then I'm like, well, I can help you to an extent, but then maybe you need to go to a counselor, maybe you need to go to a therapist. So I'll try to steer them in, in the right direction. Um, I just want to, there's a couple good questions I want to read here real quick. Kate says, I think people are afraid of my doubt and rather than discuss it they avoid talking about it altogether yeah exactly kate that's true um because what i just said people are uncomfortable with doubt and if you're especially someone in faith or in the church or just a person that's questioning people aren't comfortable with that i have people all the time who are i'm like i know that they're uncomfortable around me because i'll be like i'm constantly doubting constantly questioning and humans like uh, like when someone's like, I'm happy, okay? I'm, I'm happy. I agree with you. Great. Our friendship's strong. Our family bond is strong. If someone's like, if someone knows that they're always kind of a more sad or mopey person, then someone knows that and they're like, well, I can come to them however I feel like it. But most people try to avoid kind of what Kate said, that avoidance of when you come up with these doubt questions or uh, and it's particularly with faith people kind of just shy away from you kind of just like disappear into the background of being like uh i'd rather not talk to you about that and maybe and maybe maybe it's because they have doubts too and they don't want to be open about it they don't want to question those doubts even though it's a very good thing to do nancy wrote doubt is no different than questioning any aspect in our life that's very true we should doubt we should doubt and we should doubt everything and anything. And Nancy also wrote, uh, "Should we buy this or buy that?" Yeah, and it even comes down to little things like that. There's doubt. Should I buy? Should I buy this car? Should I not buy this car? Should I buy a house now in this crazy housing market, or should I hold off? So you can see how doubt invades all of our aspects in life. And doubt, and that's why I say, if if we, and doubt is a good emotion, doubt is a good feeling to have, because like what these comments that just were saying is it, doubt is, it's part of our brain and part of our body that helps us grow. It's, it's It helps us not make a stupid, irrational decision. Amanda and I want to buy a house. And we're so, like, we're sick and tired of living in apartments, you know, paying money, you know, people say, oh, like, living in an apartment is throwing away money. I agree and disagree because I'm like, I have a, I have a place to live. I have food on the table. I have a bed, you know, all that stuff. Air now in the summer, heat in the winter. But the one thing I do agree with people is, is we're ready for that step to, to go in and, and, and have a house to call our own that we can paint and hang up pictures and, 
have parties in our backyard or I can smoke my pipe whenever I want to and not have to be 25 feet away from the building, you know, things like that. So, but our, our, our and what Nancy said is true is, is it comes to, it invades everything in our lives. But when it comes to faith, all of a sudden, and especially a lot of us who were programmed, and that's what I'm going to say, you like that word programmed in church is do not doubt this. Do not doubt these teachings of Jesus. Do not doubt these stories in the Bible, because if you doubt those, well, good Lord, then you're going to doubt everything. Then you're going to doubt the validity of Jesus, then you're going to doubt the teachings of this. And like I said, if that is where doubt brings you, then that's where doubt brings you. I have so many friends from seminary who are these on-fire Christians who loved going to church, loved doing all these things, and now they have no belief in God whatsoever. I'm not there. I'm not one of those people. However, I look at them and I respect them. I love them. I don't avoid them. But I go to, but I'll go to them and be like, hey, you know, you're an atheist or you're agnostic. Cool. How did you get there? And then they'll tell me their story or where they're at. And I'm like, cool. Awesome. Great. And, and so that's where their doubt brought them. My doubt has brought me to continually question things about my own faith, question things about scripture, but it doesn't, it, it, it to me, it, it's not, it's not a negative. It's like, wow. I look back and I was like, and what doubt has brought me to is I'm like, I really believed in this concept of hell. Why? Why did I believe in that? Oh, because it was instilled in me. It was programmed into me so much as a kid not by my parents but by the church it was so instilled into me in bible college it was so instilled into me in seminary and then using my brain in this rationalistic part of my head that i think god created us to use and that's another thing i could get on a little tangent is so often we use our brain for everything else to to our body tells us when to eat. Our body tells us when to go to bed. Our body tells us when we have to go to the bathroom. Our body tells us if we're not feeling good. So we're all like, yeah, yeah, great. But then when our brain starts telling us, hey, I'm not okay with this. I don't like this. I don't believe in this. Then we're like, uh-oh, uh, shut that off. You know, turn that part of my brain off because that's going to lead me down this path of unknowing. And I could have almost entitled this talk, The Great Unknowing, because I'm where I'm at in my faith is I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but so much of God, of Jesus, of things in life are just purely unattainable and purely unknowable. And I'm okay with that. It's fine for us to ask questions. It's fine for us to dig and and question, but it's almost like we're racing towards this end goal which is afterlife, which is eternal life if you're a Christian, but we fail to realize to live in the moment. And that's a very Buddhist concept, but it's also a very human concept. Living in the present time. I mean, growing up as a kid and as a teenager, the church instilled into me, this world is not your home. This, you know, we're going to you need to do all these things for Jesus and all these things within your faith. You need to tell all the people about Jesus because you don't want them to die and go to hell. And that was always instilled in me. And I remember asking questions to my parents, to pastors, to leaders over me. And I'm like, what about now? What about this present reality that I live in? And they're like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, 
you're telling me about all this future stuff, future stuff in the horizon that I have no idea about, but you're telling me that I shouldn't enjoy life right now, life in the present. And they're like, uh, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, like being married to Amanda is one of the greatest joys in my life. Having a daughter is one of the greatest joys in my life. Those are the two greatest joys in my life. I would say, hot take, even more than my faith. Because I'm here in the present every day with my family. And if I constantly, in my in the way I look at things, if I constantly am like, well, I, I just can't wait till I die. I just can't wait till I meet Jesus. Fine. That's how you view things. That's great. But if I had that mentality, I wouldn't be able to enjoy the times that I have with my own my own wife or my daughter. I never want to be those people where I'm on my deathbed, whenever that is, hopefully not many, many years from now, and my family to be like, you were not present here with us. You weren't in the moment. You weren't with us. You were always over there, or you were always thinking about the end of everything. And a lot of, and I'm not the only kind of person that says this. There's a lot of pastors, there's a lot of authors who are in Christianity and even out of Christianity who are saying this exact same thing. Your faith is fine, whatever your faith is. If you're a Christian, if you're in Judaism, if you're a Muslim or a Buddhist, whatever, you have to be in the present. And sometimes we have to doubt the future things of everything to be present in in just life. Let me see if I hit all my points. Um, let me see. Uh, so one of one of the last points I want to make. We can take the Bible seriously, but not literally. We can doubt and have faith and disbelieve all at the same time. And I've been critical of my time in the UCC, and that could be another private conversation with people. But I, at the church, at the UCC church here in Minneapolis that I interned, the tagline of their church, because all churches have like little like church slogans or taglines, and the church where I interned I loved, still have a lot of good friends there. The pastor is just top notch. And one of the, their tagline for their church, which I just loved all the time, is, was what I just said. We take the Bible seriously, but not literally. And that is something I've chose to believe in my own heart, is that I choose to take the Bible seriously. I think it's in a very important book. If it ha- if it's not, why has it sold so well over centuries and centuries? But you do not have to take the Bible literally. And I want anybody listening live or in person or when this comes out on the podcast to understand that. Like, you can take the Bible seriously. It can give you meaning. It can give you uh, hope. It can give you joy. It can make you mad. It can make you doubt. But it doesn't have to be literal. I remember in seminary I wrote a paper at how I thought Job was a fictitious story, that it didn't happen. And my and I gave credible evidence through, you know, footnotes and all that stuff and through sources. And my professor gave me an A. He's like, I disagree with you vehemently, but more scholars believe with you. 
And that made me feel good because he was pretty much saying, I choose to believe myself that this story is true, but most scholars will say, yeah, Job's probably not a real dude. It was more of a fictitious story to get a point across. And that is all of what scripture is. It's people writing out of their own context, out of their own worldview, out of their own what's happened in their lives to give a point of whatever. It's a miracle. It could be how God called me to do this and I didn't do this. Or like Job was pretty much the whole point of I'm going to take everything away from Job and have he's not going to have anything, but he's still not going to give up his faith. That's a whole point of Job. Every, if everything in your life was taken away from you, everyone else is going to tell you, gosh, you're a Christian, you believe in God, why do you believe in this? And Job was like, it's not God that did it, it's just life. It just happened. I, just because I believe in God or Yahweh doesn't mean that all these things are going to be peachy keen in my life. But that doesn't have to be truthful or factual to give us the point, right? So I guess with kind of wrapping up and then I'll have any questions. There's a question here on on the comments that I want to get to. But doubt doubt is something we wholeheartedly as people should not shy away from. If you do doubt and it brings you to a greater understanding, a greater relationship, a greater uh, a love or infatuation with Jesus, great. I support you 100%. If your doubt brings you to disbelief, if your doubt brings you to agnosticism, atheism, somewhere in between, great. I support you. I'm with you in your journey. And I think that's really what it comes down to in anyone's faith. Is I, And I tell people, I'm not in the conversion business as like most Christians are. I'm in the conversation business. I want to have conversations with people to, and really meaningful conversations. And I've had friends who were like, hey, what you've said really made me question things and made me doubt and I don't really believe in God anymore. Okay, great. And I have had other people say, your views on doubt or questioning and the unknown has really made me understand and appreciate God in a new light and makes me want to follow God more. Great. Awesome. I'm a fan of that. So doubt is one of those, it, doubt is like one of those things like you just kind of throw it, throw it in the middle of the room and it's going to affect people in different ways. And I think that's what it's supposed to be. So going back to that James I went a little off topic with it, but I was just using that as an example of you can read the Bible and take it seriously, but not take it literally. And I think James was highly, highly wrong and how lots of parts in the Bible get it wrong about doubt. And there's even a part where I looked in my research for this talk today, even where Jesus in the Gospels is attributed to saying like, Peter, why do you doubt me? Why do you doubt me? Because you know you know the whole thing. Like Jesus said, you know Peter before the crow or before the rooster crows three times, you're gonna, um, you know, doubt me. You're gonna say I don't believe in you. Like why? Almost like almost like Jesus was like blah. And sometimes I want to go to Jesus and be like, it's not as easy to believe in you as you think it is, especially in in our context. Like you have your you know we know what Jesus is, who Jesus is, and what his message was. But everyone, because Peter was like, yeah, I'm going to deny you because I want I don't want to lose my head. I don't want to die. And so 
not saying that if we doubt our faith or our validity in, in Christianity that we're going to lose our head or we're going to die. But it's the, this, that questioning of, so even like I love Jesus and I'm infatuated with his teachings, but there's times even when I see things in the New Testament, Jesus says, I'm like, I, Jesus, I'm kind of, I don't agree <laughs> with what you said. And to a lot of people, they're like, oh my gosh, Brian, how, how can you believe that way? And I'm like, but I don't think anywhere in the Bible it says that we sh- that if you doubt, then like maybe James says it, but it's places in the scripture it'll say, oh, doubting is you're not going to have favor in God or your faith is going to be suspect. And that that's the point where I'm like, no, I dis- I disagree with that because faith, as I just said, or doubt, as I just said, makes us stronger. It makes us better people. But sometimes or like what what was it was it peter when it came when they were out on the water and it was all you know jesus was walking on water and jesus was like come out and you know come out and meet me and peter just falls right in the water just starts sinking and 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 peter is like or he's like help me help me i'm drowning and jesus is like you have little faith why do you doubt me or doubting thomas I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose again, whatever. And then Jesus is probably like, okay, like, look at, I'm here, touch these wounds, touch these things. But maybe that's where a lot of us as humans are. Maybe people are like, I don't believe in Jesus. And then maybe Jesus is like, okay, you don't believe in in me because you can't see me. I'm going to show you. So I think there's a lot more places in the Bible where people look at doubt and they're like, um, and maybe that's my own faith. Maybe I'm like, God, I want to believe in you more than I do. Show me, show me the validity of who you are. And people are like, oh, Brian, that's really like, I would, I don't want to be that person. Maybe, maybe that's who you are. Maybe that's what you need. I'm the kind of person where it's like, you want me to believe in all this stuff, God, well then show me why I should believe. And I know this talk, I, it could be all over the place. I don't think it is, but my whole point is, doubt 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 question things because i fully believe that when you doubt and question things your faith will be stronger we doubt everything else in our in in our reality in our lives but when it comes to faith we so often don't doubt and i think that's wrong um there's a comment here deo gracias I remember you. Uh, how are you doing? Absolutely agree. A lot of churches have a more biased, archaic, and directive approach to what faith should be like. The whoa, that's a long of uh, a directive approach at what faith should be like. The Bible says, "I am justified by my and my faith alone." Now the actions, and regardless of my actions, are a constant lure to my becoming, and that's how I can cultivate my faith. I make that responsibility of walking like Jesus a double thing and also healthy too. I don't have to be shunned upon because my doubt, which I feel most churches do. Dale, you're absolutely right. Um, I think the church, the church is supposed to mimic the teachings of Jesus, right? It's supposed to teach what Jesus taught. And why I think so many people have left the church is because the church doesn't act like Jesus at all. And it's kind of, I'm always, I'm always impressed and enamored with the saying of, um, 
uh, who am I trying to say? Gandhi. Of He was out saying, and Gandhi was far from a perfect dude. Gandhi was like, I have no problem with your Christ. It's the Christians I have a problem with because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And let that just hit you. Because literally what Gandhi was saying was a holy person in another religion. As he was saying, your Jesus is awesome. This great teacher, this great rabbi. But the people who say that they're a Christian don't mimic these teachings whatsoever. And I think the church does a very bad job of walking alongside people who are questioning, who actually are trying to live out the teachings and message of Jesus. And I was just talking to my buddy Scotty the other day, and and he was like, more why so many millennials have left the church and even Gen Z people have left the church is it's not Jesus that made them leave, it's Christians that made them leave. Because they're coming in questioning, like, I have a gay sibling, or I have a gay uncle, or um, I have questions about heaven and hell and the afterlife, and I'm doubting, and I'm all this. And then the church is like, well, you have no room here. But yet, then they go back to the Bible, and they read about Jesus, and Jesus is love. Jesus is accepting. He's inclusive. Jesus, you know, about one or two times talks about hell. And he talks about hell as a place here on earth. But yet we make it into this weird eternal thing that we have no idea about. And so people are like, why do I want to believe in this Jesus thing if the church doesn't do anything with, is not remotely telling us the same thing that Jesus did. So you're seeing this mass exodus from Christianity. So I think what Deo said is true. Jesus gives us the the room in scripture jesus gives us the the promise in in just our lives that we can question we can be uh, have an agnostic view of like i don't know what's going to happen and we can live into that but the church the church itself doesn't give us that some churches like this church this ministry does but so often so many don't and that's a real disservice um, we're almost at an hour. Does anybody have questions? Chomping at the bit, or we can talk after two. Anybody? Curtis, do you have one? Come on up, or else Caleb will get mad at me that he can't hear you. So, I mean, I think that you gave a talk once about how everyone's uh, atheist, uh, def- depending on how you defined it. Yeah, with a A. Um, but it's like, who? what are you an atheist against? Like, there's a lot of gods that people have talked about in the history of the world and to some extent we're atheists of a lot of gods you know even if we believe in one of them but i feel like a similar concept applies with doubt it's like what are you doubting um i feel like in the context of james uh being written there's a lot of people he was speaking to uh that um believed in these like 613 laws of the old testament or you know obviously the at the time they didn't call it the old testament um but i i think that james was saying uh how he was trying to get at like how do you see yourself as being judged if there is some god 
entity, how is he going to judge you? And I think what he was saying is uh, don't let God, or don't worry about these laws. Like Jesus came and said that there's a new way of being judged, and uh, it's about how you treat other people. I think in James 2, the next chapter, he says, uh, essentially the talks about the golden rule, um, you know, love other people, uh, and don't worry about all these other laws, because we got one law now, and um, that new law, which is one rule, brings uh, brings liberty to people. And if that's the thing that I need to have faith in, is that I'm, I'm free from all, all these trappings of all these laws, that's reminiscent of the issue that I have with the church, is that it seems like the church says, here's the litmus test of how we have defined how you need to believe in God, and you know, maybe there's 613 of them, um, and it changes based on which type of church you go to. Some are um, conservative and some are liberal, but they all seem to come with these rules attached to it. And if uh, James is saying, don't worry about all that stuff, just love people, and don't give up on that sort of faith that love is what it's all about, then I'm willing to not be a doubter in that, I guess. Yeah. Thanks for your comments, um, Curtis. Yeah, and that's true. Um, as I, I gave a sermon a number of months back about how we're all atheists, small a, because we're all atheistic in certain, you know, I'm atheistic because I don't believe in maybe all the Hindu gods. So yeah, in a way, I'm a small a atheist. And what Curtis was getting at, and I, and I agree, was that there are things that I, I shouldn't doubt. I shouldn't doubt the the love of God that He has for everyone. I shouldn't doubt the the love uh, of my neighbor. Those things are true. I think those are some of the non negotiables. But I do think a lot of the doubt that we see is people doubting, you know, the validity for the church. We're seeing the doubts for the. Uh, the validity of, of a lot of things, but I think a lot of the doubt, so we're all doubters, but I think the doubting that, that we shouldn't have is knowing that God loves everyone, that God's inclusive of everyone, that God's accepting of everyone. And we need to not doubt that way, but I would say doubt a lot of other ways. Is it kind of what you were saying, Curtis, put, not to put words in your mouth, but, yeah. Um, so yeah. The last like two sentences of James one. Yes. Yeah, so the end of James one, uh, verse. You want me to start at twenty six or twenty seven? I'll just do twenty six and twenty seven. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, the person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's true. That's very true. Uh, so James, I think, starts in the beginning of one and says what he says about doubt, but then at the end talks about like true faith. So true faith in God are doing these things, visiting the widow, the orphan, and the poor. So that part 
goes harkens right back to Jesus. And if Jesus is the brother of if James is the brother of Jesus, then yeah, he got that part exactly 100% right. And that's the point I'm also trying to say is what a lot of people, and I know Jay has said this in Revolution, is look, we get our understanding of Paul wrong. Because people say, Paul said that women shouldn't be in church, or Paul said women shouldn't be leaders. Well, no, he was writing that to a particular church because they were doing a very wrong thing um, at the time, and so it was a rebuke on that. And the church throughout the century says oh see look at what paul did paul says that women shouldn't have a voice in the church it's like no 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 no. you're putting words into paul's mouth that paul never said and so and i'm not saying i agree with everything that paul did whatever it just like james i don't think what he said unless i'm totally misinterpreting it because that could be a possibility but i think what J- what james was saying about doubt at first was i didn't agree with like that but then when he ends it, and I'm glad that Curtis made me finish reading that end of chapter one, because that is what the whole faith is based on in Christianity is not to get to heaven, not to um, have this eternity with Jesus, because that is there if you believe that, but it is to live here in the present, what I said, to be in the moment, and the true mimic mimicness of Jesus is taking care of those less fortunate, taking care of the widow, the orphan, the poor. And we should not doubt that, but we should go into that and live that, right? Awesome. Um, like I said, thanks for watching. This talk, I think, was really good. Um, I'll always, like as I say, I'm always checking in on this throughout the week, throughout the day, throughout the weeks. So if anybody has any more comments they want to write, I will get back to you. As always, thank you for watching. Um, this will, if you, if you know someone who might like this, tell them to go watch it. It'll also be subscribed to our Feed Sacred Collective where this goes on. Um, eventually we'll probably get our own revolution feed, but it's much cheaper this way. Um, yeah. And if you ever want to donate to us, we don't have a donate button, but, uh, DM me if, you know, any kind of money helps because we do have to pay a small fee to be here every week. But all any money that you do donate to us goes directly right back into this into this ministry into revolution. Uh, it all goes to pay for gear or pay for rent or think specifically what we're doing um, for this church. So I hope everyone has a great day. Stay safe. Stay cool if you're in a hot place like Minnesota. And we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.
Thank you.